Welcome to the Triumphal Feast Podcast, a ministry of Elder Bryce Lowrance speaking to you from the pulpit of Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. How is it that peace and righteousness have kissed one another? Because the Prince of Peace has come. Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church meets regularly two times a week. Our regular worship service is on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. And our Wednesday evening Bible study is at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to attend in person, we are located at 3749 Mount Perrin Church Road, Social Circle, Georgia. 30025. For more information about these services online or Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church, please visit our website at mppbc.com. Today's episode will continue to look at how the peace of God rules in our hearts. We know that we are given the Spirit of God in the new birth by God's irresistible grace. One of the elements of this fruit of the Spirit is peace. Therefore, we can have peace in our minds and in our lives. In fact, as we will see in the case of King David, we can even have peace in times of distress. We can remember how God has delivered us in the past and have peace in knowing that He has promised to always be with us. Psalm 4. Notice how David starts this. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. How does David pray to God? He said, Lord, you have delivered me in before. That's what it means by you have enlarged me when I was in distress. Distress means pressed down. So the opposite of that is enlarged, set free. David says, you have set me free before. Have mercy on me again. There is absolutely nothing wrong with praying to the Lord, you have delivered me before. Please deliver me again. In fact, that's probably a good way to do it. God doesn't need reminder that he delivered you. We need the reminder so that we can have the courage to trust God. But more importantly, is there anything wrong with continuing to give God glory for what he's done for you before? No, he's king. He deserves our praise and our glory and our adoration. I think we need to give it to him more. Skip down to verse 7. David shows us that peace is not... David's a rich fellow. He's the king of Israel. But notice what he says. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. Kind of sounds like peace, doesn't it? Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. David said that this peace is better than when we were the most prosperous. 
Notice the result. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. David said, I have a clear mind. I am at peace. I can sleep. Psalm 23 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. David said, I can sit down and eat a meal while the enemy's standing right there. Why? For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. God, James tells us that God doesn't tempt any man with evil. So that's part of what this says. God doesn't make us dwell in danger. God only makes us to dwell in safety. That's our source of peace. There's something else that's significant here. It's only God that can make you dwell in safety. Not only is that all he does for us, is to save us. There's nobody else that can. And there's nobody else that does. Anything else that is a promise of safety and peace that is based upon the actions of men. I will even declare this. The Constitution of the United States of America does not guarantee your safety. Our founders were declaring what God had given. Thomas Jefferson said, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. Even that man that had a really mixed up definition of who Jesus was understood that the liberties we enjoy were given to us by Jesus Christ. He wrote in the Declaration of Independence that these rights are given to us by a creator. That they're not granted by men. Oh, by the way, the reversal of Roe v. Wade is not taking away a right given by the world. It's stopping murder. Because our Declaration of Independence says we have a right to life given by God. 60 million babies didn't get that right. This is a reversal of a horrible, horrible sin. And the condition of our nation today, I think, rests majority in that we've lived that way for 50 years oh by the way while we were over there at Bethlehem singing school we sang blow ye the trumpet blow to start the whole thing because it's the year of jubilee that's the 50th year Roe v. Wade's gone it's 50 years later it's the year of jubilee for the preborn. it's the year of jubilee for that child in the womb now, we've got some work to do to help them. That's, this is another subject. We need to help those young moms. We need to help those young children. But maybe now they've at least got a chance at life. And that is because God is the author of life. If you read John chapter 1, you see that Jesus is the source not only of our spiritual life. Jesus is the source of all natural life. When man was created... It was different than all of the animals. All of the animals were created alive. Man was created as a body lying on a ground with no life in it. And God breathed into him the breath of life. Jesus Christ breathed into Adam and he became a living soul, an immortal soul. We're different than all the beasts. We are made in the image of God. And God brings us peace. Psalm 85, and I got to move along here. 
I really like this one. Psalm 85. Wow. There's a hard place to start here. I need to preach this psalm. Here's what David says in verse 8. I will hear what, what God the Lord will speak. Maybe we ought to get off the internet. Maybe we st- should stop listening to talk show hosts and various radio pundits and, and blogs and vlogs and all of that kind of stuff and hear what God has to say. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people. You want the solution of peace? Listen to God and to his saints, but let them not turn away again to folly. That was the process of the children of Israel, wasn't it? God brought peace. We're doing fine. And they fell back into the sins, built the groves again, started worshiping other gods. Surely his salvation is nigh. Ooh, I like that. God's salvation is close to us. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Is the salvation of the Lord near those that are not fearing God? According to this, it's not. This is not talking about eternal salvation, but this is talking about the peace that we're talking about, having that peace in our hearts, that salvation that is there. Call it time salvation. Call it timely deliverance. Whatever term that you want to put on it, it is based upon our obedience and fear of the Lord. Facebook is filled with tons of people celebrating the overturning of a court ruling. A great majority of those aren't in church this morning. Sorry, folks. You can't tell me that you fear God if you won't go worship Him. You can't tell me that because I can't see it any other way in the Bible. If you can show me somebody that's fearing God and not giving Him reverence and worship, uh, I want to see that in the Bible. Those go hand in hand. Because those that realize it's God that's there, what do they do every single time? Shoes come off their feet, face goes in the dirt. (laughs) They worship. They revere Him. Verse 10, this is the one I was headed to. Mercy and truth are met together. Do you know that's only possible in Jesus Christ? Because truth is, we all deserve eternal punishment. We don't deserve mercy. Which, by the way, mercy means that if you have done something to get the mercy of God, you didn't get the mercy of God. God owed you something. That was a payment. Mercy comes to us who are undeserving. Mercy and truth come together in the Lord Jesus Christ because God's holiness requires punishment for sin. That had to be placed somewhere, and it was, and it was paid for. As far as the east is from the west is where our sins are. 
by the way, that's a proof that the earth is round also. Because you can travel north and end up going south. But if you travel east, you'll never travel west. I don't want my sins north to south. Because they can come back around to me. <laughs> east is from the west. That's mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. How is it possible that the holiness, the righteousness of God, how is it possible that those of us that are such unworthy sinners can be in the presence of that righteousness? Because there's a peace that has happened. And that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What am I talking about? Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. It's not Christmas, but here we go. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, ah, the Prince of Peace. How is it that peace and righteousness have kissed one another? Because the Prince of Peace has come. Prince means captain. Because unlike what happens today, where all of the political officials sit in safety and send young men to go and die, princes and kings used to go to battle with their armies, and it meant something. So the prince of peace is the one that brought peace. How is it that we unworthy sinners can be in the presence of a holy God because peace and righteousness have kissed one another in Jesus Christ? When those angels spoke to those shepherds out in Luke chapter 2, they said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. They weren't saying something that they were hoping for. They were saying, peace himself, the prince of peace, is here. That's the dawn of redeeming grace, like the old hymn. We know the dawn of redeeming grace was an election. But the dawn of it before the face of men is when the very prince of peace was born in a stall and laid to rest in a manger. So the key is this. We've looked at multiple examples in the Old Testament of where true peace came from one source, God. And the way those people found that peace was putting their trust in God, fearing God more than fearing men. Deep, intrinsic love. Well, there's no better word than trust except maybe faith faith. Let's skip over to the New Testament now. How do we learn about this God of love? How do we learn about the true definition of God is love? Because there's a lot of definitions of God is love. That means he accepts all that kind of stuff. That's not true. 
Jesus Christ ate dinner with sinners. Not to act like the sinners, but to call sinners to repentance. There's not a single time where Jesus met up with one of God's people being disobedient that he didn't tell them to repent. Even that woman at the well, he said, go and sin no more. Even that woman caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. Acts chapter 10. We have the account of Peter going and preaching to Cornelius. Peter, who was a racist, he was. He was even after this. Paul called him on the carpet about it. Peter had a problem with it. I don't know if his racism was a hatred for the Gentiles or so much it was a cultural thing. Just because the culture does it, folks, doesn't mean it's right. Jesus let down a sheet and said, rise, kill, and eat. And there was all sorts of stuff in there, including catfish and lobster, which we're allowed to eat, showing us that there is no division among men. Peter goes and preaches to this Gentile. Verse 34. Then Peter opened... Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God does not save based upon race. God does not save based upon your status in society. God does not save eternally based upon how much you know the word of God or not. When it says God is no respecter of persons, that is talking about salvation is based solely in God's choice. Quick flashback. Cain and Abel made offerings to the Lord. God, it says God had respect to Abel's offering. But if God has, is no respecter of persons, why did he have respect to Abel's offering because God is a God of covenants and Abel was in the covenant of election before the foundation of the world so God honored his gift had respect to it and not to Cain's why because Cain wasn't on that list plain and simple God shows respect to those that are his God honors those that are his God saves those that are his but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Notice David even mentions, I mean, excuse me, Peter mentions fear. If people don't fear God and claim to be accepted of God, I just can't see it. Then notice this. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching what? Peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. That word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes on and he preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he calls what? The gospel of peace. Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 10. How beautiful on the mountains are those that preach the gospel of peace. 
Romans 14, Paul says the kingdom of God is peace. Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, said God is the author of peace. Therefore, his gospel must instruct that God is the author and only cause of peace. It is not that God did a little and we do the rest. It's not that God did a lot and we do a little. It's not that God did all of this and you just got to do this. No, it's all of grace. Peace is found in God. The peace that we have in our lives is fruit of the Spirit. It's an evidence that God had peace toward us. That's in Galatians chapter 5. I want to catch one in Ephesians chapter 2 real quick if you'll go with me. And we're going to finish this up just as quick as I can. Ephesians chapter 2. Confirming this in the New Testament. Starting in verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Paul makes a very simple statement. How are we made nigh to God? By the blood of Jesus Christ plus nothing. If there was a time that man's will or what man needed to do in order to have the blood of Christ applied to them, this would have been the perfect place for Paul to talk about it. But there's nothing man can do, so he doesn't talk about it. He just makes the simple, plain statement. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. God has called us, text we're headed back to in just a moment, God has called us into one body. He is our peace. So the peace that we're looking for is in Jesus Christ. That is the only true peace, for he is the prince of peace. He is the author of peace. He is the captain of our peace. He is the source of our peace. He is the author of it. I've said that already. Turn me over to Mark 9. I got got to catch this one more. Got to get this one more. Mark chapter 9. And then we'll start making the application of how to let it rain in our hearts. We know this text over in Matthew quite well. But Jesus teaches something similar in verse 50. Mark 9 and 50. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will it be seasoned? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Here's the connection point. You have been made the salt of the earth. Act like it 
and you'll have peace in your hearts and with one another. Because see, here's the key. Why do we have peace with God? Because of the cross. But does that rule in our hearts? Most folks, it doesn't. We get agitated quickly. We get worried. Those are all symptoms of showing us that peace may be in our hearts and show up at times, but it's not ruling in our hearts. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 says this. Here's the key. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The key to letting peace reign or rule in your hearts, it's there. God put it there. But is it the factor of your life that's in charge? It's based upon your walk of faith. Therefore, being justified by faith. This is not talking about eternal justification. This is talking about having peace with God right now is based upon our fearing Him <clears throat> and trusting Him and being obedient to Him. Why did God declare Gideon to be a mighty man of valor? Because he was going to take care of the Midianites with a very small number of people not even swinging a sword, but cracking a pitcher with a torch inside and blowing a trumpet because that would be God doing all of it. So we have peace with God when we believe. That means if there's not peace in my life, it's not God's fault. I'm just not believing him enough. Christianity says believe in Jesus. The Bible says believe Jesus. There's a big difference in those things. The devils believe in the existence of Jesus Christ. The devils know that Jesus is God's son, and they fear him. Doesn't do him any good, but they at least fear him. And so what we need to be concerned about is not just do we believe in Jesus, but do we believe him? Do we believe that he said, I am your peace? Do we believe him that he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee? Do we believe him when he said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth? And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The key is knowing where our peace comes from. That's God in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He places it in our hearts. He makes it possible. The only source of peace we have is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we want it to rule in our hearts, we got to believe it more and more. So I believe it. Well, when we don't feel peace, we got to figure out what it is. And the reason is we have peace with God when we're justified by faith. That means right there at that point, we're not justified. Something's wrong. We got to believe him more. We got to trust him more. Because, folks, we're called to that. We're called to have it rule in our hearts. And we're called to do it in one body. Why did he do that? If you're with a fellow child of God, are you more or less likely to do something stupid? That's the, one of the main reasons why he did it. Because when we get off alone, the devil can work on us more. Jesus sent his disciples out what? Two by two. We're not intended to go through this world alone. 
And I don't think God intends us to just have one Christian friend. We have this thing called church. One body. Not just that one special brother or that one special sister that I like to spend time with. It's all one body. Continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Those two things go together. So that they rule in our hearts. We're called to do that. And then the result is this. Be thankful. When we are at this point in our lives, and we can be there for an extended amount of time. We can be there for just a moment. But when we are there, we're thankful. And at that point, we can fulfill this. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. It is only when we're thankful for Jesus Christ that we really believe it. We really believe the gospel. And we're just here because out of pure thankfulness, we're amazed of what God has done for us. We may not be able to articulate it, but we're just, yeah, I'm here. Lord, I need you all the time. May the Lord bless you all is my prayer. Victorious God, we hope this edition of Triumphal Feast has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mppbc.com for further resources, including our devotional blog, Little Brother's Thoughts on the Bible. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you all is our prayer.